tall, tally, tally, thall, crawl. Hey, um, what you up to? Look, I am constantly embarrassed by my inability to pronounce names, so I'm trying to practice pronouncing the titular topic of this week's episode. Uh, the Tool Society, yes, the famous secret society of Tim Allen sitcom fans. No, 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 the, the Thaw Society. Oh, the Mr. T Society. <laughs> I pity the Thaw. Pity the Thaw, surely. Mm, it's not the version I remember. Anyway, it actually might be Tooley or maybe Tooley Society. The Buster Poindexter Society. Tooley, 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 feeling hot, hot, hot. No, 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 no. Oh. Well, which one is it then? It's the, <laughs> uh, you know which society I'm talking about. Anyway, we really shouldn't make that much fun of them. They're not inherently funny, given they are basically proto-Nazis. Or we should make fun of them, because if we aren't punching Nazis, we should definitely be punching down about them. Fair enough. So basically, I can get away with never pronouncing the name of the Tawley Society right. Indeed, in fact, if you do say it correctly, I'll be very disappointed in you. Okay, on then to discuss the Tutti Society. Like Thomas the Tank Engine is a Nazi? The entire island of Solidor is a dystopian mess, but that's another matter for another time. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentith. And welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Edison, and sitting next to me so close I can smell their thoughts, it's Dr. M. R. Extentus. No, you're actually smelling the whiskey, but my thoughts are like whiskey. They're raw, considered, and ever so slightly peasy, and I can't quite explain why. Your thoughts literally are whiskey. That's all That's all that rattles around in your head as far as I'm aware. Whiskey so in the jar. stand original statement. Whiskey in the jar. Mm. So we're... um. We're together again, in the same room, slightly echoey, but means the breaks. Yeah, unfortunately we don't have any kind of muffling for this current setup. That'd be disgusting. Yeah, so and we're actually trying a video record this time, so there might, assuming it all goes to plan, uh, be a, a, a version of this up on my old YouTube channel. Yeah, which can, nine people will watch. Mm, where you can actually see the two of us speaking at each other, occasionally turning to look at the camera, which is at an, at an unfortunate angle. Or, or you could just not and just listen to this the way you always do, the way, the way God intended, quite frankly. Yes, God did not intend us to have eyes. Eyes are an evolutionary accident, and we should be getting rid of them immediately. Exactly. Uh, now, we have an episode, just, just a regular old episode, this episode. It's, it's not a throwback, it's a not an academic paper. Episode it's which... It's going to go places. It's going to go a bunch of places. So this, should we, should, should we just go straight into it? Should we play the chime and start it proper? Or should we do a bit more of a rambling introduction? I mean, you've kind of said we should go straight into I it. But I do should. think we do think we should put a chime in. Right, let's do a that. A chime then. is important. I don't know why, but it is tradition. Mm. And as you know, appeals to tradition are never fallacious. Never. Never. Being called bonk. Yes, I feel much better after that. Now, um, by way of an introduction, so one and a half episodes ago when I did a little filler episode, I mentioned the Behind the Bastards podcast having talked about the Illuminati after we talked about the Illuminati, so we, we, we beat them to Trailblazers that. that we are. Yep, that's certainly exactly what we are. In fact, I believe all of their research is based upon mm. things that we learnt on Wikipedia. Almost certainly. And then last week in the bonus episode, we talked about it a bit more... And talked a bit about Kerry Thornley of the Discordians. Someone I do know something about, mm. although it turns out I might have been wrong. Which got us to talking about the, the whole... Now, I'm just going to say Thule Society, because that's what it looks like if it were an English word, which it isn't. It's sort of a German word by way of Greek and Latin. And what I'm going to call them the Thule Society throughout, That'll because well. frankly, that's my prerogative. Mm. Just like Britney Spears. Yeah. Bobby Brown, surely. Both. Whatever. So yeah, the Thule Society came up and... Uh, what, Sorry, what, all of the, all you know of the is toxic going through my head now. Mm, One of good. the greatest music videos of all time featuring... Martin Henderson. Yes, precisely. Yes, New Zealand's Zealand. own Martin Henderson. Mm. Although he has been a lot more successful in America. He has, but it's just... Including in the follow-up film to Detention, one of our favourite films. Mm. 
He was a follow-up film? No, no, but he was in the director's oh, follow-up film. I didn't realise they had to make more films after that one. Jeez, jolly good. Uh, so, The Film Society. It's another, like The Illuminati, which we talked about a little little while ago. It's something that we realised we never actually devoted an actual episode to. Yeah, and like The Illuminati, it's a real society. The full society did exist, and like The Illuminati, people continue to maintain... The full society is around today. Unlike the Illuminati, arguably, the full society actually did have a major impact on European politics in the 20th century. Although the story of that is actually quite complicated. Mm. But it is the fact you can trace the Nazi party in 1930s Germany to the full society in the early 20th century. So mm. there is a direct link there, although, as we'll see, that link is interesting and that, well, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. So let's start at the start. Where, where exactly does this name come from? Thul, or, or in German, as we'll see, it's Thule, was, is, was a, a land, a land mass of some kind referred to uh, by the, the, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans. Uh, according to the pronunciation guide I read in ancient Greek, it was pronounced Thule. And Thule was just this land in the far north. Yeah, it so it was, was somewhere it was over up, there. It was somewhere up. Somewhere over there, a long way mm. away. Not here, over there. And it was sort of considered, it was, it was, it was sort of used as a shorthand for the, the place furthest away. Yeah, which is why it was Ultima Fall. Mm. It was the land furthest. The furthest away. So yeah, Ultima Fall just became like we would say the ends of the earth or something. It's just the, the, the bit that's the farthest away. And as to what it actually was, some people think they might have been talking about Greenland or Iceland. And I believe later on... Greenland and Iceland became referred to as Thule yeah. I think it's more of a backporting. As yeah. in, we went, oh, there actually is a place yeah. a long way away from the center of the world, aka either Rome or Istanbul. Oh well, that must have been mm. full. But at the time, they might have been talking about that. There, there, there were a whole any number of islands around the coast of Northern Europe and the and the British Isles that they think it might have been. Some people even think that might have just been part of Scandinavia or something. It might have been Norway or something like that. But or, or Sweden or Sweden. You never know. Um, but the point is, it was far north and and and, and far far away. And you get to the so, no, sort so of far north, not far right. Well, we're we're getting there. So come the the sort of the the late 1800s, early 1900s, you had your German occultists who thought that Thul had been the capital of ancient Hyperborea. Which Which I know from the Conan short stories. But of course, the Conan short stories is actually building on this kind of notion of ancient Europeanness. So... Howard is basically working on the idea that there are these pre-existing narratives Mm. of ancient Europe being actually the remnant of a much older civilization. But actually, I've been reading the Conan short stories recently, and Howard actually wrote a potted history of the ages of Hyperborea leading up to modern-day Europe, explaining how all the various races he invented for the Conan stories evolved into the modern panoply of races we find in Europe. Side point, there's actually a debate going on in America right now as to whether we should be using the word race whatsoever, given that no one has ever successfully defined a race, and race has been used for racism. So even the term race here is awkward. But Howard uses the notion of Hyperborea to kind of create and backport his mythology, like Tolkien did, to go, actually, I'm not writing about a faraway place. I'm writing about distant history. Mm. Yes, yeah, so there, there was a whole, and that was old, um, old uh, Madame, Madame Blavatsky, wasn't it? She, she did. Oh, the she'll whole, be coming up again. She did the, um, the, 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 the sort of the ancient, ancient civilization connected universe thing, where she sort of took all of them and said, okay, and then first it was Hyperborea, and then it was these guys, and then it was Mu, and then it was Atlantis or whatever, and sort of slapped them all together. And apparently, smoked an amazing number of cigarettes. That woman. Just the, the amount she got through every day is, is, was nothing short of heroic. Although she herself was, was just a fantastic con woman. It was quite yeah. interesting listening to the stuff she got up to. But, but anyway, we're not here to talk about Madame Blavatsky. We're talking about Thule, which some Germans thought was the capital of the land where the Aryan race originated. And so because of that, this particular society that we're going to be talking about started calling itself Die Thule Gesellschaft, 
that it's on society. Well, much like, now when we talked about the Illuminati before, we talked about how, how old Adam Weishaupt um, were called them what the something about the, the perfectibilisten or something, something a lot more unwieldy before he um, landed on the Illuminati. And indeed, the, the Tula Gesellschaft was originally the Studiengruppe für Germanisches Altertum, the study group for Germanic antiquity, but then they decided Tula Gesellschaft was a little bit... Um, Slipped off the tongue a little easier. <laughs> Although a little only, easier. only a little easier. Well, if you're German easier. as well, well it's, it's easier true. to say. So it was, um, right from the start, it was an interesting society. Uh, for one so thing... Interesting in what way, Joshua? Interesting in, a, in what way? In a, in a very, very racist way. Um, to join the Thule Society, you had to sign the declaration that said... The signer hereby swears to the best of his knowledge and belief that no Jewish or coloured blood flows in either his or in his wife's veins and that among their ancestors are no members of the coloured races. Hmm. So that both sounds sexist and also probably more importantly, not to say that sexism is, mm. is it should not be considered to be a bad thing, but also incredibly racist. Incredibly racist I and mean, anti sexism yes. for the time... It was kind of, those secret societies were kind of boys' clubs, but it's a very racist boys' club. Yes, and as we'll see, um, a, bunch of, a bunch of German racist anti-Semites in the early 1900s wonder, wonder where that's going. I mean, as someone who's completely ignorant of European history, I have no idea. Mm, mm, well, we'll find out together. So, where do we start? Who, well, who's, who's, who's the founder? Tell me about the founder of the Thule Society. Wow, the, found, the founder has many names. Mm. So it's, it is founded according to history. I believe there are some people who go, there might have been some additional figures in it. But the primary founder that people talk about for the Thule Society is Adam Alfred Rudolf Glauer, also known as Rudolf von Sebottendorf, or just Erwin Tor. He was born on the 9th of November, 1875, and died on the 8th of May, 1945. That's a date which seems... Mm. 1945. Was going on in 1945. Yeah. Strange. Strange. So, he was a Freemason. He was allegedly a Sufi, so he spent time in the Middle East. And it is alleged he converted to Islam at some point. But sources seem to kind of vary as to whether... He actually was a Sufi, or whether he was someone who practiced Sufi mysticism, but actually wasn't a Sufi himself. He was also a practitioner of meditation, astrology, numerology, and alchemy, because people in the 19th century, they really, really liked their mysticism. Oh, yeah. They liked their mysticism a lot. Now, in 1916, so basically in his 30s, he got involved with the German Norden, uh, which was founded back in 1912, which was a Teutonic order, which was an occultic Volkesque, or folk movement, secret society whose aim was to monitor Jews and spread anti-Semitic material. Mm, anti-Semitic material, you say? That's... It's, it's, uh, I, I, I don't like to jump to conclusions here, but he does sound like the sort of person who'd make you sign an oath that you had no Jewish blood in you before you could enter his secret treehouse. Well, I mean, given that we know he's going to found the society which requires that declaration to join, I think we can connect those right. two dots almost directly. Good. Okay, yes, good, good, I'm on board. So he was appointed the Ordenmeister, the local group leader, for the Bavarian division of the schismatic uh, German Norden Wovater of the Holy Grail. And they were schismatic because the order had split during the First World War into a loyalist group that was loyal to the existing Grand Master and a schism schismatic set of the same group. So as we kind of see with a lot of alt-right, extreme-right groups, it's a kind of purity politics that goes on. Mm. Because you're not being the right kind of anti-Semite. No, you're not being the right kind of anti-Semite. No, no, no. And so they basically had a split. And so he was a member of the non-loyalist group. And so with this kind of entry into society, because people point out that 
early on in his career, he's trying to attract people to his own particular personal philosophy and really doesn't get anywhere with it. But as soon as he joins the German Norden, he basically has an end to bring followers into his own personal philosophy. So, in 1918, with this kind of backing of being a part of a large anti-Semitic group in Germany, he settles in Munich and starts the Fall Society, mm. which was much more political and therefore led in some part to the formation of the Deutsche Arbeiterpartei, DAP. If you know your German, you will know that uh, the Nazi party, Nazi is short for national in Nationalsozialisten Deutsche Arbeiterpartei. So Nazi was just, is, 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 the Nazi party is this party with National Socialists stuck on the front. A, a, a young, a young up-and-comer by the name of Adolf Hitler joined that party in 1919 and um, eventually stamped his mark upon it, turning them into the Nazis. Now, the Fall Society was notably a lot more political than the German Norden that preceded it. So the German Norden were basically men who were interested in the threat of the Jew in German society and trying to persuade other people through the promotion of anti-Semitic literature that they too should be concerned about Jewish infiltration of decent German society. The Fall Society was overtly political. We need to get rid of these Jewish people. They don't belong in G Germany. The German Norden were uh, we are not comfortable with the Jew in our society. We must warn the other Germans. They must not be comfortable with them either. The full societies go, no, no, we just, we just don't want them around. We don't want them around. We need to get rid of them. Mm. So one thing I wasn't clear of, was Hitler a member of the full society or did he just join the German Workers' Party, which was sort of an offshoot of it? So as far as I can tell... He's a member of the German Workers' Party, which has been formed by the Full Society. And then the German Workers' Society becomes the Nazi Party, and the Full Society basically then ceases to exist. So as the DAP becomes bigger, the Full Society is essentially disbanded. Interesting enough, Glauer leaves the full society and never joins the Nazi party. Yeah. So he continues to be a full society member, but doesn't isn't willing to become a DAP member. In fact, once he leaves the full society, he writes a book on the rise of Nazism in Germany. And remember, this is a man who is an explicit anti-Semite. He writes a book on the rise of Nazism that Hitler doesn't like. Mm. Is he just, sounds like he's just sort of a bit, kind of bitter that he set up his nice, his nice society and then these guys came along and turned it into their political party. So, I mean, I think there's a bit of that. I think there's also a bit of the you're not mystical enough for uh, what right, I want. To, to pedestrian. Yeah, I mean, to... this is a person who is very into mysticism and doesn't really see the Nazi party as being mystical enough. Now, of course, any listener to this podcast who is aware of the kind of occult nature of the Third Reich will be going, what do you mean there? And I should point out, most historians have big debates as to how occultic the Nazis were. So there were certain high-ranking mm. Nazis who were really, really into their mysticism and their esoteric orders, but it's not clear that Hitler was particularly fond of that occultic stuff. He allowed it to occur with the high-ranking Nazis, and certainly those high-ranking Nazis then borrowed tropes from those orders, or sometimes just taking direct hierarchy from the Jesuits themselves to model things like the SS on. Mm. But it does seem that Nazism itself was not occultic, even if there were prominent Nazis who were interested in the occult. Yes, I've heard the Thule Society compared to the Annenerbe, which was part of the ESS, I think. Yeah, although there's a, there's a big of debate there as to how whether, culty they were. whether that... So the SS is often taken to have actually been modelled, as say, on the Jesuits. So taking the Jesuitical mm. style of organisation. 
and it turns out secret societies and Catholic orders end up having quite a lot of overlap. Funny that. Mm. Mm. Quite mm. funny, if we're talking about Nazis. Mm. Yes, no, and then um, after he, after Mr. Glauer left the Thule Society and wrote this book on Nazis that Hitler didn't like particularly much, he ended up becoming an agent for German intelligence. I assume we're into or approaching wartime now? Yeah, so this is during the war as far as I believe. During the war. He's stationed in Istanbul. But in reality, was a double agent working for the British. I should say allegedly. The records here are not particularly clear, but it does seem that he was passing information onto the British, if not actually a British double agent at this time. Mm. But wasn't so interested in the, in the whole life of a spy? Yeah, so we have the records of his German handler, who said he was a useless spy and really only wanted to talk about Tibetan Buddhism the entire time. Mm. So not very good at the spying job. But then again, if he's a double agent for the British, he might be quite deliberately a bad spy to then pass on what if information his handler gives to German uh, to British intelligence. The life of a double spy is very interesting. Yes, and then to to cop to, to to top everything off, he died in mysterious circumstances. Yes, so it's a suspected suicide, but no one's entirely sure. All we know, all we know, is he jumped into the Bosphorus in 1945 on the 8th of May. Mm. What did he fall or was he pushed? By Nobody Nazis. knows. Mm. Nobody mm. knows. Or by an angry Buddhist who's just sick and tired of him asking constant questions. Well, they are notoriously murderous, those Buddhists. Depends on the caste. Mm. Yep, yeah, so they were, right, right from certain, in fact, even, I think even before the Nazi party existed, they were buddies with the people who would go on to form the Nazi party. Your likes of, who was it? Hess, Rudolf Hess, I think was in the Thule Society. A whole bunch of them. And if you if you were to go on to if you were to go online right now this very day uh, and go to thulesociety.com. Now, interesting. One thing that Thule is used. I, I have I have Thule brand roof racks on my car. You do. Is, it, it is, is a, it is a of... prominent Swedish outdoor equipment brand, mm. which mm. must be very embarrassing. Must be a little bit them, awkward. I don't know. Given that, yes, thulesociety.com uh, takes you to the modern version of the society, although there's always a question as to whether these are modern versions of the society well, or reinventions. Like with uh, the Illuminati, there must be a dozen different... Well, I mean, I'm also thinking... People the, who call themselves Illuminati. So, one of our friends at university, he went out with someone who claimed to be in a direct lineage of priestesses of Isis from ancient Egypt. And no one really believed that story, mm. because... The modern witchcraft is very much an invention in the, at the best, the late 19th century, at worst, kind of the mid 20th century, with societies which then just claim they have lineage back to ancient orders. In the same respect, there are lots of organizations that claim that they are the successors to the Knights Templar, despite the fact that they were incorporated in, in 1962 and had no members prior mm. to that point. So, ThorSociety.com may not be the actual lineage of yeah. Thul society. Uh, see, I, I, I've been saying Thul society. I've lapsed. I've well, lapsed already. You were planning to be in, to be completely inconsistent, so I think... Yeah, but I'm, now, I'm, I'm not being consistently saying it the way we're... Oh, anyway. Anyway. So, they in, so the modern Thul society calls itself the Thul Contemplative Society of Hitler... And they claim, and let me quote from the Sorry, website. Sorry, could you just say that again? The Thule Contemplative Society of Hitler. Of Hitler. Of it Hitler. Sounds like the Council of Ricks or something. You've got the, the Hitler Society. It's like, a, it's like a superhero team from the 1950s. Or what the, the, uh, the Council of In the Flash? Who's the, who was the mentor character in the early oh, seasons? Oh, the dude. Yeah, the, I can't remember his yeah, name. Yeah, so he yep, ended up being a multiverse one. of, of, yes, of yeah. them. Anyway, uh, we're getting really off topic there with multiverses. There is no multiverse here. No, certainly not we, a multiverse of Hitler's. Yes, that would be a terrible thing. Mm. But the full contemplative society of Hitler claims there was a powerful spiritual aspect Adolf Hitler that played a decisive part in his earthly manifestation and subsequent worldly success. Hitler's spiritual nature was the core of who he was, and his spiritual power drove his mission on Earth. 
an unshakable faith in Hitler and his mission are the foundation of the full society. The president of the full society believes that Hitler was a profound spiritual being and every other member of the full society is encouraged to think the same way. So they, so Hitler was, Hitler was very, very spiritual, very, very, very spiritual racism. Yeah. He, he, he practiced, he practiced anti-Semitism with the very, very, very well, they religious were I think is the, yeah. is the term we're looking for there. A little bit lost. So there's a quote, I can never remember where it comes from, from some sitcom or movie or cartoon, I can't remember, where somebody is talking about Nazis and they say, it's not about hate, it's about love, the love of hating Jews. Do you remember that? It sounds like about, a Simpsons thing, but I'm not sure. It's also making me think of Yay and mm. Ye's thing about, about loving Hitler. Yeah. But we've so already this, talked about Yeah, Ye, so, so Hitler, he was greatly, yes, spiritual being. Spiritual. Now, the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, I think, is the only podcast in the world which has a very strong stance on hating Nazis. Very, very strong anti-Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we don't care yeah. who knows it. Yeah. We state all the time, we mm. do not like Nazis. Opposed we do not to Hitler. Hitler. We, we think that Hitler Nazis. is a rum fellow mm. who is up to no good. Not a good person. So... We just want to we want to state on the record again. We are we are as far as I'm aware the only podcast in the world which regularly proclaims our hatred of Nazis. That's true. Uh, although he did, of course, kill Hitler, and indeed possibly got more Nazis killed than anyone else. Really, when you come down to it. I mean, I'm I'm just not willing to do a sympathy for Hitler right. thing here. Okay, no. Prob no, that's prob probably for the best. But no, it's it, just it stay true. consistent. Hitler yeah. was responsible for ridding the world of Hitler. Mm. Yeah. So, which, which, I mean, I can't say that about myself. I've, I've, I haven't even killed Hitler once. There's an, there's an episode of Supernatural where they kill Hitler. Mm. Good. Yeah. I have no rejoinder to that. No, I don't think it's good. It's actually one of the few good episodes in the latter part of Supernatural's run. Mm. Which was very, very. I never watched Supernatural, but I, every now and then someone would mention it, and it's like, good is God, it still is, it, is it still going? Did they yeah, get to like I, 15 seasons or something? It didn't I seem only watched it to completion because I wanted to see how it was in, because I had, I had a prediction as to who the final villain was, and I was correct. Mm, very good. So, anyway, we are a podcast that talks about conspiracies and conspiracy theories, especially with an academic bent. Now, I remember when we've talked about, looked at papers before and stuff, we were surprised at how long it took things like 9-11 to come up. But I don't remember things like the Thule Society being mentioned a hell of a lot. No, much... so I went and looked at my database on philosophical and social science work on conspiracy theory to see how often the Thule or Thule Society comes up. I'm just, I'm just going to trip over this the entire just, yes, time no, now. I think you should. And the answer is not often. So actually, it comes up quite a bit in the philosophy of geo-ontologies, which is the philosophy of mapping. Because there's this thing about, if we're trying to make maps out of reference terms, fool is hard to map because it's always located over there. And because numerous different European cultures have different ideas as to where over there is, there's no coherent set mm. of items which would fit for where Fall is loca located. So there's actually quite a vibrant discussion in the philosophy of geoontologies as to, you know, if you were to make a map that had Fall on it, where would it go? And this is kind of salient for the debates on AI at the moment, because the philosophy of geoontology has long been talking about computer-aided mapping, because most people are unaware, but Google Maps in particular has been using models based upon neural networks to distinguish between towns, cities, mountains, hills, rivers, and streams. And it's got quite consistent. So then the thing is, you know, you take other abstract notions, you know, the difference between a hill and a mountain is actually very hard to mm. define in kind of mapping terms. And then you go, well, what about locations that people talk about which aren't located here but over there can you find a consistent set so it comes up there quite a bit it also comes up in respect to the infamous Waikato thesis on one Kerry Bolton who we've talked about on this podcast a few times in the past because it turns out that he once belonged 
to the white order of fall. That's that's really loading it up there. The 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 land that's 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 referred to as the 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 homeland of the Aryan people, and then you call it to the white order of that land. I mean, it's like so we get it, Kerry. You're white. We, yeah. We understand the whitest. Your whiteness white, is apparently. the core of your being. A thing that you have absolutely no control over and can claim no credit for is the most important thing about you. So the White Order of Fool was a, loose, a loosely organized American society, which was apparently formed back in the mid-90s by federal prisoners, so someone who was actually in prison at the time. One Peter Georgia Karakos, uh, also founded by an art school graduate by the name of Michael Lucian and an occultist by the name of Joseph Carrick. And membership of the White Order of Fall was limited to individuals of European descent over 18 years of age. And to join the society, you had to write a short essay, uh, including your views on culture, spirituality, politics and history, and if you were deemed suitable based upon this 500-word essay you write, then you might be sent an application, and you'd also be given a kind of reading list, including such wonderful works as Mein Kampf, Imperium, by Beyond Good and Evil, Might is Right, Siege by James Mason, and Revolt Against the Modern World. Mm. Mein Kampf, eh? Mm. That was... Um... It's that Hitler fellow again, wasn't it? Yeah, profoundly mm. spiritual being, mm. Adolf Hitler and his struggle. I assume it's full of uh, meditation techniques and 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 Buddhist koans. No. No, full of anti-Semitism? Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that's, that actually tracks, yeah. Now, it also comes up in discussions of secret societies, which, you know, if you're talking oh, about yes. the Illuminati, yeah. the full society groups like that, it comes up as a, in the list of these things actually existed. But was, what was interesting is that one of the references I found associated the full society with Vril societies. Now we've talked about Vril and Vrilya at least once in the past. Oh, we must have. Yeah. And we have talked about everything. It's true. No mm. topic has left, has left been unturned. Yeah. That sentence makes grammatic sense. None. I say it does. So. so so when we've talked about Vril in the past, we've talked about the notion that this is a novel, Vril, the, coming, uh, the Power of the Coming Race, which was written by one Edward Bueller Lytton, who of course is famous for the phrase, it was a dark and stormy night. Mm. And this is a novel he wrote, and it's, it's fiction, about a hollow earth civilization held by the Vril Ya who have access to Vril energy. He really likes saying the word Vril, doesn't he? It, well, I mean, it does kind of... It's good. He'd made up, he'd it's, made up it's, a funny sounding word and thought, I'm just going mean, to use does, it for everything. It does sound good, though. Vril. 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 It sounds like a car revving up, if you ask me. Vril, 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 Vril. Mm. Now, the novel is fiction, but a lot of people took it to be a cult of truth, i.e. Bueller Lytton was actually revealing something he knew, but putting it in fiction to hide that mm. from the public, but send signals to other people. Uh, for those of you who aren't watching the video, I did the classic nose tap there, right. send <clears throat> signals. So yeah, that's, that's why you need to watch the video, otherwise you'd miss all these subtle little... Little visual cues. Yeah, exactly one visual cue you would have missed by not watching the video by this mm. point. You're really missing out back home, since we've just described the visual cue. Yeah. That's meaning you don't need to watch the video at all. I say looking at the camera. It's like all the times I've looked directly at the camera and winked theatrically throughout this, so you know that, that, that most of what I'm saying I haven't meant at all. Yeah, and precisely. And it's, it's been in total lies. I mean, that's a dangerous thing to say in an episode where we're talking about how much we don't like Hitler. We hate Nazis. Hate that Hitler, wink. No, let's let's not go there. Yeah, yeah. So people like Madame Blavatsky, who was co-founder of the Theosophical Society and believer in hidden chambers and Sphinx at Giza, also apparently epic smoker. Epic smoker. William Scott. Elliot, who was a historian of both Atlantis and Lemuria. Lemuria, the land of lemurs. Yeah, and Rudolf Steiner. Educationalist, clairvoyant, and hater of fertilizer. What did he have against fertilizer? When you say fertilizer, do you mean manure, or do yeah. you mean the? Okay. No, he was. He had this thing about biodynamics, 
which we now take to be a kind of organic farming. So the belief that the farm itself is a living organism which needs to have a kind of homeostasis. And so the, the idea of using chemical fertilizers or enhanced fertilizers was bringing stuff from outside the organism into the farm, which would then take things out of balance. So it's of the firm belief that you can't use chemical sprays, fertil uh, pesticides, fertilizers for your crops. Most people now think it's pseudoscience, but mm. Waldorf Steiner schools and the like still continue to have some aspect of the Steiner philosophical views going on, although I believe most of the Waldorf Steiner schools in Aotearoa, New Zealand are kind of very much, we don't have any association with Steiner because he was a bit of a scientific racist and that's really, really awkward. Mm. So yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of people thought that real, the power of the coming race, wasn't actually fiction, or if it was fiction, it was hiding a deeper truth, the idea that there is this real energy that needs to be harnessed and controlled. And so this then led, in pre-World War I Germany... Can we to take this one? Let, me, let okay. me give it a go, and then you can correct me, to the formation of the Reichsarbeitsgemeinschaft. Reichsarbeitsgemeinschaft, pretty much, yeah. yeah. An obscure esoteric group who published... Josh, you're saying? Vril die kosmische Urkraft. Vril, the cosmic elementary power. Hmm. This was a, uh, a pamphlet, really, 60 pages long, and it doesn't say much about the group other than it was founded in 1925 to study the uses of this cosmic vril energy. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got some evidence that there was there was a vril society operating in pre World War One Germany, which means that they are you know they probably were around about the same time as the full society, full society. And given that many of the people who believed in the Vril Society also turned out to be scientific racists, it's not beyond no. imagination no. to go, well, maybe they, they shared some, some salient points there, mysticism and hatred of the Jew. Mm. Mm. So this... What's the name again? Uh, Reichsarbeitsgemeinschaft. Might be the same group that was discussed in an article published by a migrant German rocket engineer who left before the end of World War II. So it wasn't one of those Operation Paperclip mm. German rocket engineers. Uh, he wrote a little essay called Pseudoscience in Naziland that was published in Astounding Science Fiction. And he talks about a group which, and uh, Josh, you've got to read, read the quote here. He's, he said, The next group was literally founded upon a novel. That group, which I think called itself Wahrheitsgesellschaft, Society for Truth, and which was more or less localised in Berlin, devoted its spare time looking for Vril. So these, so might, he, be, these might be the yeah. same organisations, given that Lay, who's an interesting character in his own right, there's a crater on the far side of the moon, named after him. Mm. He was really, really into his cryptozoology. I was about to say he was really into crypto, but that's a completely Not quite. Different, different meaning kind of crypto. Days. Maybe we should bring that back. Yeah, we should Maybe bring we it should back. Maybe we should walk around saying, I'm really into crypto, and then people will see you. Well, I do with the Bigfoots and, and Chupacabra. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'll show you I my NFTs. Yeah. My nomenclature furry things. tools. Uh, we'll workshop mm. it later. So, yeah, so he writes this little essay saying, look, when I was in Germany, I was aware there was an organization that was basing itself upon a novel, and they were really interested in researching Vril energy, and it may be one and the same as the other organization, although it's not beyond the imagination to think there might have been more than one Vril society operating in Germany at that time. And then... We have another reference, and this one, this one may not be so good. So there's a very famous book called The Morning of the Magicians by Jacques Berger and Louis Powell. This book is kind of a precursor to Eric von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods. There's a or big debate going Chariots on. Chariots of the Gods? Yeah, the question mm. mark is important. Yeah. There's a big debate going on as to whether it's plagiarism or borrowing of ideas or whether there's a kind of 
common source of ideas to both books. And in their book, they talk about a real society as a secret community of occultists in pre-Nazi Berlin, which was part of the inner circle of the full society. Right. So not just associated with it, but actually the inner core of the full society were these people searching for real energy. And not just that, but this real society, which had got inside the full society, was connected to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Which ones are they? I always think of the Golden Cow? Yeah, the other, the other one in Asia. But anyway, who's the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn? Well, I mean, Crowley is a member of it at some particular right. point. Yeah. Right. There's Those a whole ones. bunch of, yeah. Now, I no one really. of the Shining Path. Oh, that's something yeah, completely that different. Is, anyway. that, is, that is completely different. Yeah. Now, no one really thinks the Morning of the Magicians is a particularly accurate or indeed factual book. But despite the fact that people don't really think the Morning of the Magicians is particularly factual, and many people actually think that Berger and Powell's are just elaborating on the lay reference, but elaborate on the lay reference for a very large chunk of the book. So taking one-line reference in Pseudoscience and Naziland, and then devoting a large section of the book elaborating on, on that claim. People have then used this as a launching point for making claims about the continuation of the Viral Society, and also the continuation of the Full Society to the modern day. Right. So, so basically, there's not a lot of academic work about the Full Society and what there is relates it a little bit to these other ones in, a, in one of those twisty um, sorts of ways where well, the society's inside of that one and then they both form the Nazi party and so on and so forth. But I think, I think the question that's on all of our lips at this point in time is what does this have to do with John F. Kennedy? See, I, I thought I say, what has this got to do with Shakespeare as a callback? to our What the Conspiracy episodes, where I keep saying, and then of course there's a Shakespearean connection. Mm, no, but there is one a, of those. I mean, there probably is a connection to Shakespeare oh, there must somewhere. Be. There must be. Uh, but we're going to talk about JFK, because one of the reasons why we're talking about the Full Society was because of the mention of Kerry Thornley in the bonus episode mm. last week. And I was going, oh... I know some stories about Kerry yes. Thorne, and you're going, yeah, I Catch heard up, some stories. The, the Illuminati uh, sort of inspired a little bit the Discordians, of whom Kerry Thornley was one of the founders. Which then inspired the Illuminatus trilogy, so mm. it kind of fed back into that system. But of course, Kerry Thornley, very famously, was the author of the book Oswald, which was the psychological novel which explained why Oswald had the training in the psychology to be the sole assassin of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Mm. And of course, what's really interesting about Thornley was he was asked to write this book by the Warren Commission. And that's because a year before the assassination of JFK, Thornley had written a novel about a US Army sniper who defects to Russia. Mm. Which, of course, matches a story one Lee Harvey Oswald, a former U.S. Army sniper-trained soldier who defected to Russia and then defected back to America. Yes, because, of course, Thornley served with Lee Harvey Oswald. He they was a bunkmate. They were in the U.S. Marine Corps in 1959. And, yes, so he has the distinction of being the only person to have written a book about Lee Harvey Oswald that was written before the assassination of JFK. And, obviously, that got folks like the Warren Commission very interested in him. He testified before the Warren Commission. He also... And then, then after that, he, um, he... So, basically... He's with Oswald in the Marine Corps in 1959, writes a book about him in 1962, which apparently the Warren Commission got their hands on the manuscript. The book itself wasn't, didn't see, wasn't properly published until 1991. Um, and then in 1964, he testifies before the Warren Commission, the, the assassination, of course, having happened in between those two events, uh, and then writes this other book, in 1965, which, as you say, basically agrees with the Warren Commission findings, says that, yes, it it's, it's entirely makes sense that 
Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman responsible. Yeah, we have the right kind of training thing. and the right kind of psychology, which say the wrong kind of psychology mm. to be an assassin. Which did have the right psychology to be an assassin, but the argument is he had the wrong kind of psychology generally. Mm. But you might find this 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 sort of path and these sort of publishings by Kerry Thorney a little bit suspicious if you're someone who has, has perhaps an alternate theory about what might have actually happened to John F. Kennedy, if you're someone like Jim Garrison. Yeah, Jim Garrison was very, very suspicious of Thornley. He was. Jim In Garrison, part because he was very suspicious of the Warren Commission mm, report. Jim Garrison, of course, is the person who was played by Kevin Costner, in Oliver Stone's movie JFK. He's, he's, he's the, the back into the left guy. He back that into guy. the left. This is not the right accent, but back into I'm just thinking of the, the critic episode yeah. with now the new extended cut of J, JFK with 15 minutes more footage. Back into the left. Back into the left. Back into the left. Back yeah. into the left. That's the guy. That's, yeah. the, that's the guy we're talking about. So he, yes, yeah, so he was very suspicious of of Thornley, um, this person who is, a, you know, a, a, a personal acquaintance of Lee Harvey Oswald. And I mean, Garrison thought that Thornley was involved. Mm. He thought he was involved in the assassination. He had, yes, he 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 believed that there was obviously, if if you know anything about JFK and all, all the movie JFK. You know that he disagreed with the findings of the uh, Warren Commission. Thought there must have been a second gunman. Thought there was a wider a wider conspiracy. So he subpoenaed um, Kerry Thornley and questioned him about about Lee Harvey Oswald and about the very you know, the, the, the 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 supposed group involved in Garrison's theory about what had happened with the assassination. He ended up accusing Kerry Thornley of perjury when on the stand Kerry Thornley said, "Yeah, I haven't actually had any contact with Oswald since since we served together in 1959." Um, I think there's. There's some debate about whether or not that's actually true, but um, because they lived, I can't. There, there's some detail. They, they 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 were quite physically close to one another at some point, and it and seems also, a bit they hadn't encountered him. Quite all. a big fan of taking drugs, so there's also a distinct possibility that they had contact, and Thornley was out of it at the time. Yes, and so that becomes. Um, that that, that 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 becomes quite pertinent, I think. Thornley was of the of the uh, flower child generation or whatever. Did a lot of acid. Did a lot of drugs. Um, Wrote a counterculture manifesto, the yep. Principia Discordia, mm -hmm. which was yeah, it, it, it was very into his sort of sort of pranking to the extent that I believe they were they were actually sending. Or th there's a story that the early copies of the Principia Discordia were printed on Jim Garrison's photocopier because they knew someone who worked in his office. And I believe it's it's known that they printed some pamphlets on Jim Garrison's photocopier. It might not have actually been the Principia Discordia. But, um, but the point is they were, while Kerry Thornley was being interviewed for being under suspicion of being involved in the JFK assassination, they were still sending sort of prank letters to Jim Garrison's secretary talking about this Illuminati plot to 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 kill JFK that Thornley and them were implicated with as a, as a prank. He was interesting. He was he was a fellow who, when he encountered an idea, tended to sort of grab onto it with both hands. So he sort of he he, he was he was a libertarian for a while. I understand. Mm, quite and, a far right and libertarian. Yes, once once he once he took a liking to libertarian, but, yeah. he went full on libertarian. Um, and did that with certain other beliefs. Um, the dodgy, the dodgier part is that apparently he was at, at one point he was very into the idea of the sort of free love, sex is natural sort of thing, which went as far as to say sex with children is perfectly okay because it's just all sex and we should just all do it. And there, there, there are allegations that he attempted to molest children, possibly out of a sense of duty. Possibly because he because his his belief in this was so strong that he thought it was the sort of thing he should do. But I'd, he had a lot of very strange beliefs, he not helped did. by the gigantic quantities of drugs he consumed and possible signs of mental illness as well. But um, those that all culminated in a, in a in a in a in a set of beliefs that's pertinent to our topic today. Well, yes, because in 1992 he appears on the television program A Current Affair and confesses he was part of a conspiracy to assassinate JFK. Yeah. 
and and not only that, uh, that that the Thule Society was involved. Now, many people think that this was an act. So people like Jonathan Vankin, who's written on conspiracies and cover-ups in America, goes, oh, we know, Thornley was a notable prankster. And so this is the kind of thing he would do. I, mean, I believe Garrison's dead by 1992. So he appears on a TV show to go, well, look, Garrison should have indicted me and should have investigated me further because I was involved, which is the kind of prank you, mm. would, pu- you would pull after, you know, someone like Garrison has died. Thornley always maintained up until his death that he was not pranking anyone. That he wasn't aware he was part of a plot to assassinate JFK back when the assassination occurred, back in 1963. But, at the same time, was involved in that plot. Now, the version of the story I remember reading, and this is back when I was working on my PhD, so we're talking probably mid-2000s, is that, yes, Thornley was of the firm belief that he and Oswald were patsies for the Fall Society. It turns out the story is probably more complicated. So this claim about the Fall Society comes out of Thornley's memoir, uh, which is named Confessions of a Conspiracy to Kill JFK, which is published after his death. He was working on it with a true crime writer and journalist by the name of Sondra London. She basically finished off the text and released it for free online. And in the text, he's talking about how he wants to get in contact with Garrison in Garrison's later life. And Garrison basically says to an intermediary, I never want to meet or talk to Kerry Thornley ever again. And Thornley uses this as a launching point to talk about paranoia, because he's in communication with someone who is talking about the Kennedy assassination being planned by the full society in antiquity. So not a current day full society, but a ancient full society plot that was coming to fruition in the 1960s. And Thornley's talking about the idea that Garrison sees Thornley as a paranoiac, which is kind of ironic given that Garrison himself was a paranoiac par excellence if you take the official theory about the death of JFK to be correct. So Thornley you kind of uses it to go, well, look, it's really hard to distinguish between people with legitimate concerns and investigations and people who are suffering from paranoid-esque delusions, to go with the kind of Hofstedian notion of a paranoid style. And so he kind of develops on the kind of the riffing of, you know, I can see that when I'm dealing with this person who claims that the full society was involved in a plot to kill JFK, that someone might see me in the same way. But the book itself is very weird, because basically he does end up saying, look, I was part of a large-scale, probably state-run conspiracy to hide who really killed JFK, which means he was involved in the conspiracy because he was a patsy, in the same way that Oswald was a patsy. And that's where the full society reference seems to come in. It's not actually Thornley saying they were definitely involved. It's Thornley going, well, this person says they were involved. And as someone who will take on any idea and contemplate it seriously, I'm going, is it a paranoid fantasy or not? I mean, maybe if there is a large-scale conspiracy to kill JFK, maybe there are elements of ancient orders involved exactly in these kind of machinations. And his eventual conclusion at the end of Confessions of a Conspiracy to Kill JFK is, look, there are all of these organizations that have been operating throughout US history, and they're the real power and control of the American state. Individuals like Oswald or Thornley are just patsies in a larger plot. Mm. But yes, I I, I think... um... It's, uh, it would be fair to say that Kerry Thornley said a lot of stuff. He did. Said a lot and, of but he stuff. also believed a lot of believed stuff. Believed a lot of stuff. And not all of it <laughs> consistent throughout time. Or to say, and not all of it consistent throughout time. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. He was a weird fellow. He sort of... From what I understand, the Procopia Discordia was 
a work of satire and and humor but also intended to be a some sort of sort of a, an enlightening countercultural sort of a thing designed to free people's minds a little bit and yes as we say he bounced from one belief to another and whatever belief he happened to have latched onto at the time he he believed wholeheartedly even though it would change he was he, he was just a weird fellow and it is very difficult to take anything he says um, at face value, especially since it usually contradicts other things he has said. And that's kind of where it ends. So, so we, we start with the Thule Society, a, a, a much more blatantly racist secret society than, say, the Illuminati, um, which nevertheless kind of went on a, a similar trajectory, I suppose. I mean, like the Illuminati, it didn't really last super long. I think it, well, the Illuminati only went for like a couple of years, didn't it, before they cracked down on it. Yeah, yeah. Very short. Society... I mean, less, less than a decade. Mm. The full society, I think, goes on for yeah. slightly longer. But not much more. No. no. But unlike the Illuminati, well, I mean, as we said in the Illuminati ep episode, there is a story to be told about the ideals of the Illuminati then going on to things like the French Revolution and the like, yeah. which you might say were a good thing as long as you're not a royal. Mm. Whilst the ideals of the full society, they... They were, they were at least compatible with what ended up being the Nazi party, even if the esoteric stuff got jettisoned along yeah. the way. The idea of an overtly political organisation devoted to hatred of the Jew. And the, and the coloured races, as yeah. they would put it. The Romani, the Gypsy. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, so they were... Yeah, they were the racist Illuminati, and the the good old Freemasons just kept chucking along, um, while while all these other groups splintered off of them, uh, and 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 basically flamed out, and uh, either got banned by the Bavarian authorities, or defeated in World War Two. Yeah. So I think the lesson is we should all be like the Freemasons. Slow and steady wins the race. We should for the. Video views. We should now do a Freemasonic handshake. Mm. Yep, that's that was that was that was authentic. I want you to know that. And that's all we have to say about the Thule Society, really. They, yeah. They, 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 they're another one. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this needs to be a regular thing. Secret societies. There must be yeah. more that we haven't talked about. But oh, there, there are think, a lot. Oh, of yeah, secret yeah, there, there are lots we haven't talked about. There must be more notable ones that we haven't talked about as well. Well, we could talk about the history of the Rosicrucians, a society that may have never existed mm. but does exist now the templars of course i mean they've come up a bunch of times especially when you start talking about scott walter and his, his oh yes his, his unsolved he's really into ancient ancient alien stuff now oh is he yeah mm, that's interesting the only episode of his show that i saw about aliens was him debunking uh uh supposed alien oh, carvings no, no. apparently he's really into ancient aliens mm. now Funny fella. Jesus was an alien. Well, obviously. Which means he's probably watched God, God Told Me To. Mm. Which uh, I was actually thought about the, 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 the Hitler and the, his, his benevolent spiritual side kept reminding me of the whole War, Warhammer 40,000 thing where the Emperor of Earth was supposedly every historic, famous historical figure throughout history and was both Jesus and Hitler. Mm. Mm. And, then, and then other things also. Ah, Warhammer 40,000. Never played it. My brother used to play it. I'd watch him and his friends spend an hour setting up, then make one move, and then spend the rest of the afternoon arguing over the rules as to whether or not they could do that move. And I never played that game. I used to play squats in Warhammer 40k, and then they, they just got rid of my well, did, army. Yeah. And now apparently they've brought them back, but I've, I've been burnt by Games Workshop once. I'm not going to be burnt a second time. No, fair enough. I think that if, if, if there's to be a moral to this episode, let it be... Don't get burnt by Games Workshop more than once. Well, I mean, especially given the cost of actually of entry, you have to buy the rule books, then you have to buy squads. Squads themselves are incredibly expensive for bits of plastic. Mm. I mean, the cost of entry into Warhammer 40k seems to be about 240 NZ to just be able to do a light skirmish. Yes, in fact, I think let the moral of this episode be destroy capitalism. Yes. Mm. Yeah. But before you destroy capitalism, uh, you might want to give us some money by, by signing up as our patrons and going to patreon.com and looking for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy and becoming a patron. And if you do, 
We you don't do, have much do. for you this week. We do not have much for you this oh, week. We'll come up but with something, we, I'm we'll sure. We'll end up doing some pop culture discussion yes. or, or something. We'll talk about what's been going on in Britain. We'll be talking about what's been going on on Jordan Peterson's Twitter feed. There's always something going on. He's a, he's a person. And, and yeah, so if, if, if you want a bit of bonus content, then become a patron of ours and you'll get some from us whether you want it or not, but presumably you do want it, which is why you became a patron, capitalism. Yeah. If if you are accidentally a patron of the mm. podcast, I'd like, like to know how. Yeah, you know, uh, please do write in to explain how you've got access to our patron bonus mm. episodes, and we can probably give you some escape routes. Yeah. So we're going to get, uh, get on and do that. You lot can get on and get on with the rest of your lives. Um, and I'm just going to say goodbye. Totally pep, all. Totally pep. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Dentith. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, Soylent Green is Meeple's.